Hey everybody, my name is Adrian Wright and I am the lead pastor here at Anchor Church Joburg and uh, such a privilege for me to be able to share with you as you listen online. Thank you for everybody that has been following along with us on this amazing series through the book of Romans. Um, a couple of weeks back we dealt with Romans 12 and uh, we got stuck into Romans 12 after having worked through the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. We love the Bible, we love the book of Romans, we love how it informs us of our identity in Jesus, how it expresses the gospel of God's grace, how it reveals this great future that God has for us and really teaches us about the marks of a life that's been changed by the grace of God. And, um, you know, it's just something that we're so passionate about as a church. We want people to really know uh, what the gospel is and what it is that Jesus has done for us. And so uh, we love working through the books of the Bible, and, and we've been working um, through the book of Romans for some time now. And um, when we did our recording on Romans 12 and Romans 13, unfortunately, um, we had an error on the recording and, uh, and we were, weren't able to put those up online. And so what I've done is that I've come into a studio um, and some friends of ours has helped us out and we've been able to put these down for you so that we can complete the series um, and so that you don't miss out on any part um, of what we've been doing. And, and uh, if you listen to the last message that we, that we shared on the book of Romans as we got to those first two important verses of uh, Romans 12, um, we see that, that Paul essentially lays the foundation, having now said for 11 chapters he's been preaching the gospel to us. He's been showing us that all of us are guilty before God. Like None of us could stand before God in our own right, in our own goodness, of, of our own sufficiency. Uh, none of us are good enough to earn a place in heaven or earn God's favor or earn God's love or earn God's forgiveness. Um, it just isn't within the realm of our capability to do that. We're not perfect people. We don't live perfect lives. And so there is nothing that we could have done to have saved ourselves, And that's the message that all people are guilty. All people have messed up. All people are imperfect. Um, and we've been born into the slavery to sin. But God loved us so much that that he sent this one man, the one Jesus, the Son of God, to come and to die for us. And by dying for us, he completely redeemed our lives. And so even as through one man, through Adam, sin entered the world and, and all were, were condemned because of it. In Christ, through this one man's obedience, the many have been made righteous. And and so there's this idea that, that uh, God has shown us through the law that all of us are guilty, that none of us could have lived up to his standard of righteousness. Um, but instead, he sent his son to die for us and to become our righteousness. And so the Bible says that, that for those of us that when, when we have put our faith in Christ, we have become the righteousness of God by our faith in Christ Jesus. And so it becomes this new identity, a new way of seeing yourself, no longer walking around thinking that God is angry with you and God hates you and, and, and he's just waiting to punish you and, and uh, he's just waiting for you to fail so that he could point out your flaws. But instead that God has already seen all of our flaws and our failures and our imperfections and he put it all on the cross. He punished it in the body of, body of Jesus and he set us free from shame. He set us free from condemnation and from guilt and he has given us the ability to live a brand new life. And that's really what the gospel is about. It's about 
about living a brand new life. And, um, and so last week we said that when this has happened, you know, we see at the end of, of, of Romans 11, how when Paul recognized that this is the grace of God, that, that all people are guilty, but by his mercy, he saves us. And that it says that God has, has, has put all to guilt. He has shown all to be guilty so that he may have mercy on all. And the next thing that Paul does is he breaks out in this response of of worship. And that's what we looked at last week is that this is the mark of a life that's been touched by the grace of God. When God's grace has touched your life and it's not just philosophy, it's not just theory, it's not just, um, you know, a, a theology of theory, but but it's something that has genuinely impacted your heart and your life. It changes you. It changes the way that you live. It changes the way that you move. It changes everything about how you love and serve and give and 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 conduct yourself in this life. And and that, that there are certain marks that we begin to see in a person's life as the grace of God hits them and changes them. And and that's really what this little sub series that we've moved into uh, has been all about. It's the the marks of a changed life or the marks of a life changed by grace. What happens when grace touches your life? A lot of people have an issue with grace because they say that grace, when you teach it, um, is telling people that whatever they're doing is okay, that God, uh, you know, is tolerant of those things and, and, and he's okay with those things and, and there's forgiveness anyway. So you can just go out and do whatever you want to do. And um, the, the true nature of grace is the opposite. Grace is not about casting off restraint as much as it's about casting off rebellion. And that's something that we could never have done for ourselves. But the point is, is that when you know that you're loved and you know that you're forgiven and that you know that that God is for you, it changes your heart fundamentally, your identity. And all of a sudden you find that the things that you wanted to go out and do in rebellion, you now no longer want to do because you're loved. Uh, none of us want to rob the person that loves us or hurt the person that that loves us. None of us have ill uh, intentions in our heart towards people that have been faithful to us. I mean, in the same way, when God, when we recognize his faithfulness to us, it generates a response of faithfulness and of worship and of gratitude. And we really spoke about that in our last session on Romans, uh, when we started off in Romans 12, about how that gratitude is the first mark of a changed, of a life changed by grace. And uh, today I want to go further into uh, Romans 12, and I want to talk about the gift of self-forgetfulness. If you're taking notes, if you're listening online, uh, write this down, the gift of self-forgetfulness. And, and I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments, but for some reason this has happened to me uh, way too many times. One of those moments where you're walking along in a public space um, and uh, maybe on the, in the street or in the mall or something, and all of a sudden you see a person kind of a little bit of a distance from you, just kind of enthusiastically waving at you. Um, and you you look over at the person, squint your eyes a little bit, trying to see if you can recognize them, but you can't exactly place them. You don't know if you know them from school, if you know them from church, if you know them from some other scenario. But you know you don't want to be rude. And when people are that excited to see me, I always want to kind of try and be excited to you know see them as well. And so I would kind of raise my hand and kind of give a little wave and a little smile, like hey, hey I don't know who you are, but hey. And um, and I've I've done that before in the past. And, um, and, and then they would keep waving and eventually I'm like, Hey, this is, I've waved, you know, and I, I would lower my hand again and, and kind of try and figure out what's going on until I, I turn around and, and I realize that they were never actually waving at me. 
that all along they were actually waving at somebody behind me. And I've just, you know, like a fool, put up my hand and waved at somebody that wasn't even waving at me. And so kind of I try and get back at them a little bit. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not waving at you. I'm waving at somebody behind you um, or whatever I could do to make myself less humiliated in the situation. But, you know, you when you when you when you turn around and you realize that they weren't waving at you, you kind of you know, you lower your hand and you you stand there wondering what the meaning of your life even is. But it, it can be a little bit uh, disconcerting when that happens. And I actually think that a lot of Christians do this with the Bible, um, that they read it and they think that the Bible is waving at them. They think that everything that the Bible calls us to do, where we look at Romans 12, Romans 13, Romans 14, Romans 15, Romans 16, where it's it's given instructions. It's saying, you know, this is the kind of life that we're going to now live knowing the grace of God, knowing that we're changed by His grace, knowing that He is present in our lives, knowing that the Holy Spirit is transforming us from the inside out. And and so oftentimes people read those chapters and they feel like the Bible's waving at them going, hey, hey, it's it's all about you. It's it's all about what you do. It's all about you working hard. It's all about you trying your best to be better. It's, you know, and, and so they take it, they take the weight of righteous living upon themselves and um, and they kind of sheepishly wave back, like I don't know if I can do this. I mean, I, it's a lot of stuff. I'm supposed to to serve and give and honor and submit and 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 be, you know be righteous in my actions and my thoughts and my words and my deeds and 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 this is this is massive. So I don't even know if I can do this, but okay, I guess it's the right thing for me to do to wave back. So you know, hey Bible, I, I guess I'm going to try. You know, and and um and actually what we discover and what paul has been trying to tell us in the book of romans all the way through is that the bible isn't actually pointing at us it's not actually waving at us when it calls us to do these things but rather it's pointing us to jesus it's pointing us to his grace it's pointing us to a greater dependency upon his presence in our lives so that we can do everything that scripture calls us to do none of those things that we're called to do in scripture we're meant to do in our own strength in our own strength it would be self-righteousness we only do it as the grace of god moves us impacts us changes us and we can be intentional we can step out and we can trust god's grace in those moments just like peter who stepped out of the boat trusted that god's grace would work cause him to walk on the water um, we can do that, but we don't do it in our own strength. And as we move into the subsequent chapters in the book of Romans, I just want to make that absolutely clear that we are in a process of learning to depend on Jesus in a greater measure, keeping our eyes fixed on him. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. The good work that he begun in us, he will be faithful to complete. And he is the one who gives us the energy to work, the energy to to uh, to be changed and trans who, the one who transforms us from the inside out. So Paul basically spends 11 chapters uh, trying to get you to see this, that it's not about you, but it's about Jesus. And he changes us from the inside out. That is the key to living the way the Bible calls us to live. We were not meant to extract principles from the Bible and try and fulfill them in our own strength. That is not what God has asked us to do because it separates the doing from the believing. It separates the action from, from the heart of, of Christ within us. And it makes it about us as opposed to making it about Jesus. And we, we never want to get involved with that. So I want to tell you that if you've been trying to fix yourself, stop it. Stop trying to fix yourself and rather fix your eyes on Jesus. That's the idea. Let his love transform you in a genuine way. Let, let, let you, the way that you live flow out of your relationship with God. 
and uh, and our hope is in Jesus and in His grace, not in our own efforts. So, so this gives us an incredible gift. You know, there's 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 a gift that we get when we realize that it's not about us or our goodness. You know, some Christians become so good that they become bad. You know, they, they, they're so good at reading their Bible that they judge those that don't read their Bible. And they're so good at, at abstaining from certain things that they judge everybody who struggles to abstain. And, and in their judgmentalism, they actually become worse off than people that just partook of those things. And that's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. These religious people, um, if the light that is in them is darkness, how great is that darkness? How great is the deception if they think that they're good uh, in their own strength? And the problem with those Pharisees is that... They, uh, wanting to establish their own righteousness, as it tells us uh, in Romans 10, did not submit to the righteousness that came from God. Um, And so, you know, you can be so good and so Christian and so faithful that you could make your life all about you. And you think you're dying to yourself, but actually what you're doing is resurrecting yourself. And uh, we don't want to get involved with that. We want uh, to receive this ability. The moment you accept grace and go, wow, it's, it's not because I'm good. It's not because I've prayed a certain amount of hours. It's not because, you know, I've been faithful. It's not because of this. It's not because of that. It's, it's not because of me. It's a gift. It's a gift of God's grace that I'm able to live the life that I live, that I'm able to abstain, that I'm able to not sin in certain ways that I used to sin in, that I'm able to overcome this addiction. That's a gift. And that gift gives us another gift, which is this gift of self-forgetfulness. The discovery that you are not the center of your own universe but that you are a part of a much bigger story. Grace gives us the opportunity and the ability to put our eyes and our focus on Jesus. And by doing that, our own sense of self-righteousness begins to diminish. And, 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 and we realize that, that this bigger thing that we're a part of is so much more significant than anything we could have imagined or anything we could have done for ourselves. And, 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 and so that's what, what happens when we recognize that it's God's grace that, that saves us. We, we're just less worried about impressing people and more concerned with actually helping them. And, and i got to tell you, just personally in my life, I was very set on impressing people. I don't know why it's just been a thing that I've had to outgrow and, and, and work on with the Lord like throughout my life. But uh, from a young age, I wanted to impress people. I wanted to be first. I wanted to win. I wanted to get the biggest trophy. I wanted to get the best marks at school. I wanted people to say, wow, look at how good Adrian is. And, um, and, and I carried that into ministry. I wanted to achieve. I've, I've really been kind of this overachiever in my life. And, 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 but there was such an unhealthy part to that where I found my significance in how well I could perform. And I found my worth in how many people praised me. And then I would be crushed if I failed. I, I couldn't handle failure. Um, it, it was an emotional thing for me to fail. And I felt like I disappointed people. And, and it was just the worst kind of thing. And, and, um, and, and so I took myself, especially in ministry, uh, you know, very, very seriously. And there's a lot of young people that were with me in ministry. I was a young kind of youth pastor, 21 years old, full-time ministry, uh, you know, leading a youth ministry, and, uh, which I did for, for years and years. And, and, and in that time, I remember that I just, I took myself so seriously. And, I, and I, it was all about, because I believed that success, even in ministry, was going to be generated by my efforts And when I realized that actually what I need to do is learn to rest in Jesus and his grace and let go of my own self-righteousness and just and just accept my worth and my significance in Jesus, I became less worried about impressing people and more concerned with actually helping them. 
Um, and, and I'm still on this journey and God still helps me every, every day um, on this. But, but it's like a sense of true humility that enters your heart when you understand the gospel. And um, C.S. Lewis actually said this. He said, the truly humble man will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. The truly humble person doesn't think about how humble they are because the moment you do that, you're not that humble because you're thinking about how humble you are. And so, uh, you know, the, the least humble people in the world are the people that tell you how humble they are. Um, that's not what humility looks like. And so the truly humble person um, doesn't think less of themselves, but they think of themselves less. They, they just don't think about themselves because they're living in another realm and with another focus. And, and so this is, this is what God's uh, grace gifts us to be able to do. Um, and so, you know, we're looking at this as one of the marks of a changed life. And, and uh, we laid the foundation with, with the first two verses in Romans 12, which I'm just going to repeat for you again here. But it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This, this signifies a moment in uh, the book of Romans where we shift from a very systematic theology, which came through uh, the first 11 chapters of Romans. Um, and there was just this, this systematic uh, exposition of the gospel, um, you know, of grace in a theological way, explaining doctrines and tying in the Old Testament and, and, and revealing the grace of God in, in a powerful way. And now we get to Romans 12, which, which there is a switch here from a very systematic theology to a very practical theology. It says, okay, so how does this change your life? And what he says is, the first thing that you'll do is as you recognize this and as you've come to be grateful for the grace of God and the mercy of God, you will present your body as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to God. We've looked at that before. Um, and this is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, or what is the good, acceptable and perfect will of God. So we can live changed lives. By God's grace, we can live changed lives. And so uh, Paul continues on then from verse 3, and that's what I want to get in today. Um, and the first thing he talks about, what is the first thing as you present yourself as a living sacrifice? What is the first thing that you'll be moved to do? And he talks about serving. He talks about becoming. And, and, you know, if you think about Jesus, who was the greatest servant of all, he who is the least will be the first. You know, the kingdom dynamics works in reverse to the way that the world works. We think that to be first, you have to, you know, you have to subject people, but and, and, and kind of, you know, be the most powerful person in the room or whatever. But what Jesus shows us is being the most powerful person in the room and being first is actually all about being a servant. And he said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. God himself in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he didn't come to be served. Even though he was the creator of all things, he came to serve. And that's the heart of God. It's a heart of serving. And so the first thing that happens when God's grace hits your life is that all of a sudden um, you want to serve. You become more like Jesus in that way. And serving even in the context of the church, which is his body, it's God's mission, it's God's plan. So let's read Romans uh, 12 verse 3. Um, and I'm going to read through to verse 8. It says, uh, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. You see, he, he starts off by addressing pride right in the beginning. And we're going to get back to that. So by the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. 
For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so um, love this verse and love how practical Paul gets here. Um, but the very first thing that he addresses is pride. And I believe that's because the thing, the one thing that will keep you from truly engaging with God's plan for your life is pride. The one thing that will keep you from, from living this life of self-forgetfulness is if you're full of yourself. You need to be empty of yourself in order to, to be able to live for others and emptied of your self-righteousness. And, and you can only do that. You know, we, we can't let go of that self-righteousness until we've seen something better. And, and the replacement for the self-righteousness is the true righteousness, which comes from Jesus. So as we hear the gospel message of what Jesus has done, we can let go of the self-righteousness we've been carrying. And, and that releases us from pride. And releasing us from pride causes us to be servants, causes us to be able to love better and give better and, and, and serve better. So, so a lot of people uh, don't engage with what God's plan for their lives is. Uh, they don't get involved at serving in church and they don't get involved in, in generosity and giving and, and loving and, and, and leading and, and whatever it may be because of this issue of pride. And so Paul says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. It will undermine um, your ability to serve God faithfully. So, um, you know, people, people carry that. They carry it into church. I, I've, I've often seen that where people come in and they say, well, we want to serve and we want to we do this and we want to do that. And if you've got to give us this position. And, 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 and all of a sudden, if they don't get a certain form of of recognition or, you know, if they don't feel that the church has met their needs in a certain way, then, then all of a sudden say, well, then I won't join them there. They, you know, they won't get involved unless they get the recognition or their needs met um, the way that they feel they want to. And I remember uh, when we as a church, you know, we, we're, we're just about two and a half years old now as a church. Um, and uh, in the beginning, it was just friends and family and just people coming around. And, and you know, it was, it was fun. And there were some roles. We had a welcome team and we had a worship team. We had, but it was nowhere near the level that we have today. And I remember that um, about eight months later, our church nearly doubled. And all of a sudden, we had so many more people than we were used to arriving. And we didn't know kind of what to do with all these people that were arriving. And, you know, we were trying our best. We were stationing a welcome team at the at the door. And we had, uh, you know, people at, at the cafe trying to do stuff. And uh, But we just didn't have a big enough team or a, a team that was trained well enough to deal with all of that at that point. And I remember the first time, uh, it was about a month or two after that, where we got our, our first complaint, our first negative email from somebody that had visited our church and had not enjoyed uh, their experience. And for me, this was an emotional moment. I'd never had that. We had such a great rapport with everybody up until then. And people always said how much they loved it. And, you know, there was such a great vibe and a great spirit. And now all of a sudden, there's somebody who came to Anchor Church on a Sunday morning and didn't enjoy it. And it was hard for me to swallow. And I read the email and, and what they said was, you know, they came to church and they sat in their seats. And then afterwards, they went to the cafe and they got their coffees and they stood there. 
they said they stood there for like 20 minutes or however long it was. And, and in that time, even though they were standing there and they had their coffee in hand, nobody came to greet them. Now, first of all, this for me was unfathomable. I didn't think that that could even happen in our church, that somebody would come in and, and, uh, and not be greeted. But on this one Sunday, this anomaly occurred, and these two ladies um, that came in weren't greeted by anybody. And, um, you know, obviously our heart is for people. We want to greet everybody and make everybody feel welcome. But, but also I, I was thinking about the attitude of these people that come into church and almost analyze and assess the community and and analyze and assess whether or not they want to be a part of it. Um, and it's really about how well are they being served. And we've kind of created this consumeristic mindset where people will stand there, hold a cup of coffee and in, stand in one place for apparently 20 minutes, but won't even walk up to somebody to say hello from their side. And it's actually mind-boggling that you would do that, that you wouldn't, from your side, try to at least engage, you know. And, and, and so I replied to the email and I said, I am absolutely devastated to hear about your experience. It's not our hearts. It's not who we are as a church. Um, it's not what we, you know, what we want. But, but here's the thing. Clearly, we need help in this area. Clearly, we need a bigger team and we need more faithful people to serve. So why don't you, I'm inviting you to join Anchor Church and not only join our church, but start serving. We've got a spot for you. You can start serving from next Sunday. Why don't you join us and make sure that no one ever feels the same way that you felt on that day. Um, may, come and help us be better at this thing that was was an issue for you. And um, and you can do that. And And obviously, I never got a reply to that email. And it just it, it, it's indicative of this attitude is that people are quick to criticize, but where they see a need, they're not necessarily quick to serve. They're not necessarily quick to take ownership of Christ's body and the church, you know, and his mission and say, well, this church needs help in this area. So let me get involved. Let me get stuck in. Rather, they say, well, I'm not being served. I wasn't greeted. And it all becomes about, you know, me, myself and I. And so um, so the Bible says, don't think of yourself too highly understand that what you have is a gift and that our gifts the gifts that God has given us are not meant to compete with each other but to complement each other they're there to to complement we don't all have the same function we're not all uh, standing up on fr in a front on a Sunday morning preaching or or uh, you know uh, you know making coffee at the back or serving the kids we've all got different uh, gifts that God has given us but even though we don't have the same function when we have unity amongst all of those differing gifts, just like your body has unity and has one goal, one vision, one heart, one mind, yet um, there are many different parts to your body. In that way, when we stand together, we can do incredible things. When we stand together and we have chosen to serve and to be the least and to forget ourselves, but rather make it all about one another and all about the vision and the mission that God has given us, it's amazing what we can do. Uh, I think it was the, the 33rd president of the U.S., Harry Truman, who said, it's amazing what we can accomplish, or it's amazing what you can accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit. It's amazing what we can do together when we stop worrying about who's getting the recognition and, 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 and you know who's being seen and who's being honored. And instead, we just say, hey, whether I get recognition for this or not, I'm doing it as unto the Lord. And, and, and this is my heart. This is what, what God has caused me to become. So. We have gifts that differ according to the grace that God has given us. And that's what, what Paul says. He says, you've, you've all received God's grace in its various forms. So here's a great idea. Let 
us use them to serve one another. We want to be able to employ those gifts, not store them, not save them, not put them away um, in a cupboard or on a shelf somewhere. You know, every time I visit my parents' house, they have this coffee set um, that somebody gave them. And, and uh, it's a really expensive Le Creuse set coffee set with like a porcelain plunger and, 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 you know, it's all matching and it's just incredibly expensive. And because it's so expensive, it never gets used. So it's this beautiful coffee set. But it sits on the shelf and it collects dust. And basically, we use the cups to store batteries and, you know, little things that we don't want to get lost, buttons that we find or, or whatever else it might be. And you've got this, this beautiful, expensive Le Creuse set coffee uh, set with, with a plunger and everything that's just sitting on the shelf, never being used. And what God is saying to us is don't do that. Don't put your gifts, these expensive gifts that I've given to you on the shelf. They're not there to be put on display so that people can just look at them and think about how nice they are. They are there to be used in the service of others. They're there to be poured out. They're there to, be, to, to bless others, to honor God. And so if God has given us expensive gifts, don't shelve them, but use them. If you've given, been given the gift of, of prophecy, then prophesy in proportion to your faith. If you've been given the gift of serving, then, then be poured out in your serving. If it's teaching, then in your teaching. If it's in exhortation, then in your exhortation. If it's in giving, if God has gifted you, we're all called to give, but some people are also specifically gifted to give above and beyond. And if you are gifted to give, then give generously. Outdo yourself in giving. And, and if it's in leading, then lead with zeal. And, and to the one who does acts of mercy, in other words, acts of kindness and love towards um, those that are less privileged and, and those that are suffering and those that are hurting, uh, if you're doing acts of mercy, don't do them begrudgingly. Do them cheerfully. Use everything that God has given you with this attitude of self-forgetfulness. You see how it's it's pride that would keep us from doing those things. I'm not going to serve because I should be served or I'm not going to exhort because nobody encouraged me or I'm not going to give because 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 I haven't been given to or if I'm doing these acts of mercy, I'm not going to be cheerful about it because I could have been using my time better. So pride will absolutely corrupt um, our ability to serve in the way that God calls us to serve. And the best place to start serving and what you know, Paul mentions here is serving in the church. Now, I want to tell you that's not a human idea. That's not a plan that pastors came up with to get some help on a Sunday morning. It's literally God's calling. He was the one, Jesus said, I will build my church. It's his church. And he weaves us into his story, his narrative of redemption, his, his story of grace, how he's revealing himself to the world is through his church and through the local body of Christ, um, what, wherever that may be. And so, and so he allows us to become partakers of that glory and of that mission. Um, and so serving in the church is not just, well, it's not charity. It's not like, well, I, you know, I guess I should do something charitable in my life, something for the community. And, you know, I've got a checklist of things that I need to do to be a good human being. And one of those is, is being involved in some sort of goodwill. So let me go to a church and see if I can sweep the floor or pack out a chair or make somebody a cup of coffee. And then I've done my duty. That's not what it is. This is about your destiny. This is about God's calling. This is about um, the plan, the one and only plan that God has for the redemption of all people um, in this world. And, and, and it comes through 
uh, comes through the church, the local body. And so Ephesians 1 verse 22 says, He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. It is the vehicle that God is using to fill this world with his glory and his presence. And so God has made you a member of his family and a member of his body and a part of his plan. And this is our opportunity to change the world by being a part of the local church. And so the first thing that Paul says will be a mark of a life changed by grace is that you will serve as a part of the church. You'll get stuck into reaching your world and, and, and being involved in the mission of God uh, in this day and in this age, in this city, in this nation. And so I want to ask you this question. What is your relationship with the church like? What is your attitude towards the church? When you hear the word church, what comes up in your heart? Have you allowed past hurts to rob you of the fullness of the blessing that God wants to bring to your life through the church? Has your own pride kept you from leaning in? You know, are you one of those people that you'll arrive and, and you'll sit in the back and you won't really talk to anybody and you just want to stay anonymous? And then you know, five minutes before the message is over, you quickly run to your car and jump in and, and drive away. Are you, are you withholding yourself from the thing that God is calling you to first and foremost? Because whatever reasons you have to be against the church, I can tell you I've got greater reasons. I, I, I've been in ministry, I've, I've experienced hurts, I've been disappointed by people, I've been disappointed by leaders, and, and in the same way, I've also disappointed people, and I've also been that leader that has disappointed others, but we do not allow those things to rob us of God's plan for our lives. And even though I've been through all of those things, I've got to tell you that I absolutely love the church. There's no other plan for my life. I've given everything and I will continue to give everything to building it until the day I die because I believe in what God has called us to do as his body. It, it has blessed my life far more than any hurt that I may have experienced. The church has, has, has been uh, just the, an absolute blessing to my life and the center of, of, of the community upon which I, I've built my life and the people that I've, that I've, that I've lived life alongside. And, and it will always be my greatest privilege to build the church and to see lives changed as a result. Um, I mentioned the scripture earlier, but Matthew 6, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. This is the only thing. Think about this for a moment. This is the only thing that Jesus has been doing since his ascension. Since he went up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the father, he has full time focused his attention on building the church. That's what Jesus does. That's what his heart is because it's the vehicle through which he will see this world changed and saved. And, uh, and, and, and I love what Bill Heibel says. He says, perhaps the greatest privilege in all of human life is when Jesus taps you on the shoulder and says, will you join me as I build my church? It is the hope of the world. Will you join me? And I feel that God is tapping some people on the shoulder right now, even as you're listening to this recording. And, and he is saying to you, will you join me as I build my church? Because it is the hope of the world. I remember how uh, Bill Hybels talks about um, how he was in, in, in college and 
Um, he heard about this community of the church that existed in the book of Acts that we read about in the book of Acts and how this community was just so in love with Jesus and so sold out um, to the cause of Christ that whatever he told them to do, they would just do it. And they had so much integrity that people on the outside noticed that there's something different about this this community and people just wanted to be a part of it and uh, and even though there was persecution the church just continued to grow by the thousands because there was a a community that just knew the love of God and and weren't going to be held back in serving God and and so this lecturer that was in this college where where Bill Hybels was sitting as a student asked the question if God is still powerful and if God is still moving and if God is still healing and restoring why can't there be such a community in our culture, in our city, and in our day? Do we have a vision for what this church could become? Do we have a vision for what Anchor Church could become, for what your church could become? Do we have a, a vision for the role that we can play in our city to see a city changed and shaped and influenced by our faithfulness? Do we have a vision for how our lives fit into that plan? Paul goes on then to list some more marks of a life changed by grace. And these are the things that we get to do. We, we actually get to do this now because of his grace. And so I'm going to read from verse 10. It says, let love be genuine. Uh, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. See, he comes back to it again. Don't be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. And there's a long list of things there that can totally overwhelm us if we try and do them in our own strength. But once you've received the gift of self-forgetfulness, these things begin to flow like, like water through your life. You know, the first thing he says is, let love be genuine. A mark of a life changed by grace. And the gift of self-forgetfulness means that you will be able to love people without hypocrisy. He says, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. It's not enough for us just to choose good over evil. It's not enough for us to just go, well, you know, I, I, that's not a good thing, so I'm not going to choose it, and this is a good thing, so I'm going to choose that. He's saying more than that when he writes this. He uses the word abhor. It's a very strong expression. Abhor what is evil, but hold fast, cling to, grab a hold of, embrace what is good. And so what that shows us is that it's not just it's not just a choice, okay, I choose good over evil, but it's an inner change. Um, our, our emotional responses, in other words, begin to line up with our genuine convictions. Hold fast, embrace, love what is good, because this is what God is doing on the inside of you. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I love that. At Anchor Church, we've always said that we want to have a culture of honor. A culture where we honor one another and submit to each other in reverence to Christ. We, 
And, and, and that word honor is an amazing word, but in one sense it means to give weight to. Um, give weight to a person's presence. Give weight to their actions. Give weight to their importance. We show honor in the way that we listen to each other, in the way that we engage with one another, in the way that we serve and assist and pray and speak about each other. We can often be very dishonoring with our words uh, and, and the way that we speak about each other, um, but changed lives seek to outdo each other with honor. He goes on, he says, don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Don't be lazy. You're not going to be lazy when, when you have been impacted by the grace of God. You're going to be fervent in spirit. And like Jesus, we will have a zeal for his house and it will consume us. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. This is an attitude of faith. How often when the chips are down, do we start bemoaning our lives and blaming God and blaming others and um, you know, and, and what the scripture talks about is just says, keep your joy in the hope that you have. Be patient, be willing to trust God in the difficult moments. A lot of people, the moment things get difficult, you know, they, they stop coming to church. This boggles my mind. You know, they, the, the church is the one place where we find hope and unity and friendship and community and strength and encouragement. And then they say, well, people often come to me and go, sorry, we haven't been to a church for a while. We've just been through a really rough time. And I understand where they're coming from. But for me, I feel like telling them that if you're going through a rough time, the first place you should be is the church. The first seat you should be in is that seat in the front. The first place you should be visiting is a connect group in the week because you need people around you that will support and encourage you. So, so we, we need to understand that when the chips are down, we shouldn't run away from God, but run to him and be patient and pray and keep our confidence, keep our attitude of faith that God is at work in all situations. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In other words, give. Give of yourself. That's what it means to sacrifice. It means to, to give of your money. It means to give of your, of your time, to be generous with your home, to, to be hospitable to others. Um, it, it's an attitude of generosity that pervades our life and, 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 and that begins to bless others. And God can use us as powerful instruments in the lives of other people. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. In other words, you know, bless those who are against you. Be good to those that are unkind to you. Forgive and give and, and, and do what you can to, um, to be like Jesus who forgave people even though they were crucifying him. And, and ask God to, to forgive them because they didn't know uh, what they were doing. And so we do that. We bless those who persecute. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who who weep. Do you see the, the level of self-forgetfulness here? Where we can actually identify with the pain of others, where we can actually see their pain, see their joy, and stand with them in it. That really requires the gift of self-forgetfulness, the ability to, to not be thinking about yourself and your own emotions, but to be fully immersed in serving others. Live in harmony with one another. And as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Now, I remember the, the, the scripture, I think it's in the book of James, that says that if there are quarrels amongst you, if you guys are arguing, is it not because of your own pride and selfishness? So when we let go of our pride, uh, we're able to rather choose to live in harmony. And uh, Pastor Mark Hodges was at our church a while ago, and he spoke about this, how 
you know, an orchestra is many different instruments and many different people making different sounds from different instruments. But when they are in harmony, it makes one beautiful sound. And that is a picture of the church, that we are a philharmonic orchestra. Uh, that, that, that word phil from the word phileo meaning love and brotherly love, that we get to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and make this beautiful sound. So he continues, he says, don't be haughty. Again, don't be full of pride, but associate with the lowly. And that's what Jesus did with us. That's, that, that's the testimony that we have that we get to carry um, into other people's lives is that, is that we're not full of ourselves, but we're here to associate with you in your pain. And I remember we did a funeral at our church recently, and, um, and there was a, a lady that passed away from cancer. And, um, and uh, there were a couple of people from the Alexandra Township that came through. And um, and they stood there and one by one they testified of what this lady had done in their lives. And uh, she did this crazy thing. She went into into Alex. She she found them in the streets and she just asked them one question. She asked them the question, what is the biggest need that you have in your life right now? And the one guy answered and he said, I need to get off of drugs. And she she took this guy, took him to a rehab, walked a journey with him, got him off of drugs, got him clean, helped him get a job. And, uh, and she fulfilled that need. She asked another lady, and this lady said, I need a matric certificate. I need a, a senior certificate so that I can find a job. And uh, she paid for that lady to go to night classes and be able to get that certificate. And, and, and in this way, she just helped these, these people, countless of them. And they all came to her funeral and said, if it wasn't for this woman, and if it wasn't for the fact that she was willing to associate, she, she, she didn't have to come into Alex. She didn't have to come into our world. But she arrived here and asked us the question, what can I do for you? What is the biggest need that you have in your life right now? And, and through that, lives were changed. And that's the attitude Paul speaks about here um, in Romans 12. He says, never be wise in your own sight. See how again and again and again, he just addresses our pride. Repay no one for evil, he goes on finally, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Forgive, be the least, be a peacemaker, leave the rest in God's hand. We get to be gracious now to those that have harmed us, those have, that have hurt us, those that have, have betrayed us. We get to be gracious because God has been gracious to us. No matter how great the debt is that we are asked to forgive, the debt that we have already been forgiven of was infinitely greater. And that is the hallmark of a church that understands the grace of God, is that it is filled with gracious people. It is filled with gracious people. He says, don't be overcome by evil. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't allow the culture of this world with its backbiting and its selfishness and its desire for vengeance to affect the way that you conduct yourself. Remember that you are not of this world. You're a child of God, a citizen of heaven. And so we live differently. We live by his grace. And all of this becomes possible by the work of the Spirit. It says that if we are able to love those that that hurt us to, to feed our enemies and to, and to give you know, water to those that are thirsty. Um, if we are able to do that, we're heaping burning coals on the head. And that is not a, an act of vengeance. That is an act of conscience. It's about, it's about awakening to them that, that there is a better way to deal 
with our relationships, that there is a better way to live. And it's a way of of grace and forgiveness as opposed to uh, uh, hatred for one another. So so do that. And it becomes possible as God's spirit continues to work in us. We're able to forget ourselves. We're set free from self and we are empowered to serve God in a way we could never have done in our own strength. And that is the gift of self-forgetfulness. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us today. If you're listening online, thank you for listening. And uh, we are moving ahead uh, into Romans 13 next, uh, where we will talk about the submission to authority and, and uh, some really powerful things that comes out of Romans 13. So um, stay tuned for that. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.